0: Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with our friend and cybersecurity expert, Adam Dupay, and one of our new PhD students, Anna Muldoon. Anna was a science policy advisor for the US Department of Health and Human Services working in areas of synthetic biology and biosecurity. We sat down to talk about a recent article from researchers at the University of Washington that showed proof of concept for the idea of hacking DNA in order to pose cybersecurity threats and breach uh, systems using DNA as basically the cybersecurity virus injection. This is Feels like science fiction. And we talked about that in our conversation and talked about, you know, what are some of the um, long standing divisions between different disciplines that have prevented this mashup of. Uh, of ideas and of frankly security risks from coming together before this and what might some of the long-term consequences be? How should we think about this from a regulatory perspective? What are the advantages? Uh, what are the disadvantages? And. As with so many of our conversations, we were actually pretty happy that this barely scratched the surface and we will definitely be back for more conversations in this area. Before we get started with the episode, as always, thank you for being with us for the Future Out Loud podcast. If you are not already subscribed to Future Out Loud, Go ahead and do that. Just put it right into your smartphone or right onto your desktop by subscribing in places like iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or Google Play. We would be delighted to be in your earballs every week, which is about when we try to put out these episodes if you haven't already looked at our website you might want to do that futureoutloud.org we are very excited that we have a new production assistant with us esmeralda parker she is updating and getting us caught up on show notes which will include a link to the article that we talk about in today's episode Please find us on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what you think about the podcast and whether there are topics or guests that you would like us to, uh, to address in the future. You can find us in both of those places, Twitter and Facebook, at Future Out Loud. And now, on with the episode, and thank you for listening. Hey, Adam. Hey, Heather. Hi, Anna. Hi, Heather. Hi, Andrew. Heather. We have gathered here today to talk about cyber hacking DNA. Is yes, that it? That is it, Andrew. Which you is found one of the coolest
1: this. things I think we've talked about. Just as like yeah, cyber hacking yeah. I think DNA. Right. I mean that's very yeah. futuristic.
2: Yeah. So so this was a, a piece of work that came out and hit the headlines at the beginning of August. It was I guess a week, couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. now. So you had headlines, and this is just reading from Science Magazine. Uh, researchers hack computers with DNA. Mm-hmm. So just that, that intriguing combination of cybersecurity and biotech and genetic engineering and DNA sequencing mm-hmm. was just such a an irresistible mix not to talk about. It's
0: all the science fiction movies in it. It is, exactly, <laughs> yes. yeah.
2: So lots of questions including, is this plausible? So this is why we've got you, Adam, here. And Anna is going <laughs> to tell us, I don't know, I'm
1: fascinated to find out what you're going to tell us, Anna, uh-huh. about this. Yeah, so f- feasible, so that's actually part of why I think this work is really interesting, because it demonstrates that it it's in the realm of possibility, and it's something that we can start thinking about. Right. So to kind of lay the groundwork in security, we think about what are the input vectors into our system. Because right. So you build this system and it does something whether it's a computer program or some kind of algorithm or even a human system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right you build some kind of system and for an adversary to actively cause that system to do something it's not supposed to do they have to get imp- they have to get input right. into the mm-hmm. system because otherwise what are they going to do right yeah. like this is the classic example of the most secure computer is one that's turned off and inside of a locked slot- <laughs> secure facility yes right so the, the really interesting key takeaway from this paper is, yeah, this could be an inject. This is a kind of input vector that nobody had ever, you know, considered or thought of before. Right, right, right. So, I mean, have the biotech community been
2: thinking about this?
3: Not as much, on, uh, or at right. least not that I had really seen or read about. I right. mean, there's been a lot of fascination with this idea of DNA as storage capacity. Right, yes. mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. long you know, long long term storage of <laughs> the, the, the human world's data and the architect. Storage, but that aside, sure. yeah, so, <laughs> and, yes. And and storage that can only be accessed once because you have to destroy it right. to access it. And right. A little bit of a long term archive there. Um, <laughs> but you know, I it had it had sort of been discussed a little bit because one of the things that they encoded into DNA storage was actually a virus. It was uh, uh-huh. the one that fills up your hard drive with junk. It's something oh. zip. Um, oh, like a zip bomb. Yeah, they, yeah, they and they but they had just encoded the code for the virus. Um, the language here gets convergent right, and right. Entertain, but, but very but entertaining. entertaining. Virus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. virus yeah, yes, and virus yes, and code yes, and code. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a language nerd.
2: But but what fascinates me, I mean, you look at the, the biotech community, and they've been obsessing um, around issues associated with genetic engineering and, oh, yes. and gene editing with yes. dual use and bioweapons mm-hmm. and what could mm-hmm. possibly go wrong. And yet, yes, my sense was this actually wasn't on their radar. Not at all.
3: No. I think <laughs> not even
1: from the security <laughs> community. And I think that's part of what... Why this paper is so interesting and why it got so much media attention? Yeah, because it brings just like you started us off with, it brings these two really dispersed areas that, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been some thoughts about at least uh, medical with you know the security, uh-huh. the the, the St. Jude. I issues. just got my
0: Dear Doctor letter from Abbott this week about the patches. Uh, yeah, yeah, they
1: finally have mm-hmm. finally have the patches yep. out now, right? And so that's kind of more of the the tread ground, but now here we're talking about DNA and this coding and yeah, yeah. uh and trying to, so maybe we should, um, somebody describe what, you know, what kind of, what did they actually do? Yeah. Can you do that? <laughs> <So> <laughs> hoping that You're going to be better at that would. than me,
3: because I can only get to the they made DNA part. So from
1: my understanding, what they did was they showed that, so there apparently are programs that analyze DNA? Is that correct? Yes, you, you
3: put it into a machine that reads the DNA out.
1: Well, while destroying it in the process, I just learned. Yes. Yes. Awesome yes. and scary. Um, so you're like, I, guess I don't really care. samples. <laughs> <laughs> right. But. Check. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, what they showed. So if you think about any kind of system, so this then this DNA reader would be the system, and so the input into this is DNA, and so the question is, could you construct DNA sequences? And here I think mm-hmm. where it was mm-hmm. where my vocabulary fails me, right. such that it. Could exploit some vulnerability in your DNA reader software, mm-hmm. and that could contain some kind of payload that could take over the right, DNA reader right. system.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, so what fascinates me about this is, at one level, this actually sounds quite implausible because they really had to compromise the system. But then you can begin imagining what you could do with with harder systems. So, yes. I know we should probably talk a little bit about how mm-hmm. they set this up for failure. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Exactly. So this is so this is kind of one of the interesting uh, human elements I noticed on Twitter. So I follow a lot of people in the um, security community or the Mm -hmm. industry security community, right? So you have the academics like me who like writing papers, who like getting tenure and doing the academic stuff. And you have industry who Mm -hmm. have, they have their own kind of concerns, but it gets a little mixed because both of them have conferences, both of them have papers in some sense white papers versus peer-reviewed papers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so the interesting thing that ties here is the response the immediate kind of knee-jerk reaction to this response and all this press release was wow this is so cool this is the coolest thing ever like this is this is amazing well, who <laughs> was saying that though was uh, it the, the security inter- community the, se- Wait, the industry, security, industry sorry, security sorry the security. industry okay. security community a lot of people like well this is crazy and then Somebody actually read the paper and read <laughs> all the way through the press release because this wasn't hidden. I mean, it mm-hmm. was towards the bottom of the UW <laughs> press release, but yep. it was still there, where they said, you know, they actually in they injected this flaw into the reader so that they could demonstrate that they could actually do this. Right. <laughs> okay. And then there was then a. Adverse reaction from the industry community that basically mm-hmm. said, "Well, this is garbage. Then why would they ever do it? Right. right, right. Because it was a compromised system. Yeah, but they I'm had assuming to that was f- the flaw into it right. to demonstrate this. That's a and that's from
3: the cybersecurity industry people, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, from a bio side, I don't. I we have thought about big data. We've thought about biosecurity. We've thought about all of these things. I don't think any of us had ever even really seriously considered that well, yeah, these machines do translate DNA code into binary, so sure, you could do this. It, it just hadn't even entered the realm of possibility. So mm-hmm. while the cyber people may be going, well, you had to make the... Vulnerability. The bio people are going, whoa, yeah. you can do what now?
1: Which they should be doing, because <laughs> the, from an academic perspective, that's what's interesting is learning about yeah. new, what yeah. we talked about at yeah. the beginning, input
2: vectors. That, right? That's right. right. So so mm. this, I think, is exactly how we need to think about this. And and so I was actually surprised that it, it blindsided the, the bio community, because if you look at the, the basis of synthetic biology, that we've been talking about this for 10 plus years now, with people like Drew Endy and, and Craig Venter sort of putting mm-hmm. down the... Uh, the, the basis of this. But but one way of thinking about synthetic biology is you're basically converting um, real-world code in DNA mm-hmm. into cyber code, which you can then play around with, and then you squirt back down into reality. Right. So all you're doing is transcribing between two different systems. Why wouldn't you be
1: able to hack such a system? And from an academic perspective, it's incredibly easy to find vulnerab- Like the types yeah. of vulnerabilities that we're talking about, buffer overflow, heap overflows, all these types of vulnerabilities right. are the easy things. I mean, you can look at any Piece of software, especially something that hasn't received a lot of scrutiny, and you're going to find these kinds of problems. Yes. The novel concept is doing this injection vector from DNA right, right. and actually being able to to demonstrate that you can do this. So right. the finding right. of the vulnerability to me is the less interesting part. And so the fact that they injected it, fine. I'm, yep. I'm yep. 100% right. totally okay. fine. So, that. Yeah. so to me, the, there are a couple of other aspects to this.
2: Um, one is Yes, in a very simplistic way you can say, of course it would never happen with a, a normal system because it's just a, a stream of data coming in. Apart from the fact that the more we automate our systems, the more we take humans out and we give um, automated systems, mm-hmm. AIs, the ability to actually sift through huge piles of data, right. the easier it is to actually fool those systems with yes. a data stream mm-hmm. coming in. So you've got that. The second part is, I, this is just data in, problems out. This is DNA, but it doesn't have to be DNA. If you could do this with DNA, you could do it with any other system that's
1: collecting massive
2: amounts of data.
1: Right. Yes, yeah, so this actually brings up a great point. I do you know where else this types of, of data can be used? So you kind of described it as a system to turn DNA into some digital as data.
3: S- sequence data? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, sequence data is used everywhere. I We have mm-hmm. massive databases of sequence data that we use to identify what foodborne pathogens are, right? Mm -hmm. So you you sequence it, you compare it to the database. Um, GenBank is probably the largest database, and it's... um, it's, actually, it's open source and it's not curated, right? Mm-hmm. So whoever sequences an organism puts the sequence wow. into that. So you're now see. talking
2: about I, how <laughs> uh-huh. many terabytes of, of data that is open access oh. that people can go into yeah. and start streaming into their exactly, computers. Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly the idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even yeah. just showing that you know the reader could have this problem and this vulnerability, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all about where this input flows through the system. So yep. if the system is just the reader then yeah, mm-hmm. you can inject a vulnerability there but if somebody else is consuming that sequence in some other system uh-huh. you could target that system through something like a maliciously crafted right. DNA yes. sequence.
3: The one thing I'll say is I'm not sure I mean, it does seem like the way that they they read the sequence is that it you know translates A, C, T, and G into binary before it kind of Reputs uh-huh. it back into readable form for humans. Uh-huh. What I don't know is if, as computers are reading that, if they're doing the same thing, right? If they're mm. putting it into binary when you're doing the analysis, because they would need to to exploit the vulnerability, right? Ultimately, everything goes back to binary, right?
1: Yeah, as long as it's to me it kind of it would depend and that would affect kind of exactly how you would go about this you would have to encode it in the dna so that it would survive you know it would get transformed into the reader's binary representation and then maybe translated into somebody else's binary representation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah but you could theoretically still you know chain these things together sure. and, and we do this all the time in yeah. other contexts so so the way, the way you do it if you want to talk to a
2: specific system you work out how that system processes data, yes. and then you inject something into
1: the system that's going to fool it. It's all about understanding the systems, and that's really right. what security comes down to. And that's what I try to teach my yes. students: is mm-hmm. you know, it's all yeah. about knowledge and understanding. So then you've got
2: another level to this. So you could sort of imagine that with research systems where somebody just has a computer, they're downloading huge amounts of data from um, publicly accessible databases, mm-hmm. and they're processing that information to do interesting research with it. Uh, maybe it's hard to imagine how you could get a a, a virus or a piece of malicious code in the system that would cause devastation but when we move to automated DNA sequencing systems Mm -hmm. so you take the, the world of the, the movie Gattaca, which mm-hmm. could happen in the next sort of 10 years or so, where you get a, a thumb break. Is that on your list? Can I ask? Actually, no, it is not. I, that says the movie goes Guide to the Future. No, actually, we dropped Gattaca off the list. Why? Because
0: it, it was too obvious? It, it was too obvious. It's, <laughs> <ain't> everybody <laughs> talked about Gattaca, including myself. But, anyway. I mean, everybody... Sorry. Thank you okay, for that. I agree. Right, right. <laughs> I I'm very yeah, But anyway, but, to get, but, anyway, no, but, no. But to like get back to the tech,
2: but, but when you've got automated systems, that, that read your DNA and make an automated decision based on that reading where there is no human invention, that's where the real vulnerabilities mm-hmm. come in.
3: Okay. I mean, I'm still, I'm, I'm obviously not a cybersecurity expert and I'm, I'm a policy expert. I'm, right. not, I'm not actually a geneticist or, or, or a molecular biologist, but the thing that I thought of with this was You know, in true sci-fi world, could you actually infect people with a virus that would Mm -hmm. then compromise a lab? Right. Mm -hmm. I'm a sci-fi fan. Right. right. I I immediately went to Snow Crash. The overlap Mm -hmm. between digital and physical viruses.
2: Neil Stephenson's Snow Crash.
3: Also my favorite novel. So, but I, I could see you know maybe not now but i could see someone taking this and going "Ooh, could i at least as an experiment Mm -hmm, maybe not realistically but it's an interesting thought if you could
1: we already have kind of in the computer realm we have polymorphic viruses in a sense and even from early on they were where they would kind of transform themselves depending on the host so they'd have different types so like Windows host could infect Mac and Windows Uh and even Linux Uh and could hop between them that way. Mm -hmm. So you could think about cross, you know, a a virus, maybe a capital V, or maybe all capitals, Mm -hmm. right, which (laughs) could go from human virus, like you were saying, to then DNA sequencing, to then Becoming a computer virus to hop, and I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You
3: know.
1: I, And of course, there are, there are really
2: clever things you can do. So even in the research lab, if you've got DNA being sequenced, which then goes onto a computer that some scientist begins to process, they look at information. The scientists will act and respond according to the information they uh-huh. see. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, so sure. now you've got a manipulation
1: vulnerability. Yes, if yes. you're really smart, mm-hmm. which is just like the um, the vulnerability with the the Stuxnet. So Stuxnet yes. was yes. developed to. And specifically what they were doing was to get onto nuclear enrichment or uranium enrichment facilities, mm-hmm. and they would do this manipulation, and they would lie and tell the operators, yes, everything's operating normally within parameters, yeah. but they would actually be uh, doing enough damage to the system that over time it would actually cause the um, these systems to fail before they should. Right.
0: Well, and didn't it just, didn't it highlight to part of, as I recall, mm-hmm. Stuxnet... Highlighted that the system wasn't behaving in the ways that the indicators said it was behaving. And so Stuxnet was designed to build... Um, uh, to erode confidence, right? Yes. In the system. Yeah, so they had like twice its or three times as many yeah. of the
1: mean failures rate as they should have. Right, right. And so they didn't really understand, you know, why. And, mm-hmm. and exactly, I mean, that's when you kind of get into the information game, right? Is that's Maybe right. your goal is not to... Take over the adversary. Maybe it's to get them to second guess their own actions. Yes, and to slow down so exactly. that you can get ahead
0: of them. Yes. Which is wh- oh, who's the military strategist, Ossinger uh, 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 or something like that? Who said basically the way that you win a war is you have to just get be faster and get ahead hmm. uh, strategically mm-hmm. of your adversary.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And the other thing to keep in mind when we're thinking about totally the Im- impacts of all of these, so as a you know the technology as a, technolog- as a person who a a techie and a nerd like yeah these kind of crazy viruses sound super far off but i love it because we've seen time and time again and one of kind of the adages in security realm is that attacks always get better right so they always start from this crazy theoretical yeah there's like a thing that compromises the security instead of two to the 28th guesses you can do it in two to the 100 no two to the 24th yes and then it's like oh it's this major breakthrough Theoretically, but doesn't have any practical impact today yep. until people refine that more and more to where we can actually turn these things into real attacks. Right, right.
3: Though right. so I, I do think that it would be a very long time before yes. this was yes. truly feasible. Definitely. And but it's so cool to think about. It think is fun to think about.
2: <laughs> it <laughs> and and It is. Precisely because people think it's cool, to think about that sure. it'll probably happen faster
1: than you think, and it should probably cause us to rethink our risks. Well, I right, yes. Yeah, so yes, yeah. Dan,
0: yeah. and so it's it's um, Osinga wrote this book, and it's the strategic theory of John Boyd, who is a military strategist, mm. and I think that once people start to think, oh, okay, this might be possible, this could be possible, it then sort of may cause other advances to put the brakes on, right, right? which then allows you know, you to get ahead of your adversary if you know that you have instilled a lack of confidence into your adversary's game.
2: So it does raise a broader question at this intersection between the world of cyber and the world of of biotech. Um, So I've been talking for years about convergence between different technologies and people like to be siloed. But the reality is, even if this particular instance is implausible, we've got to be thinking increasingly about the, the transfer and uh, the the sort of the softness of that interface between mm-hmm. the cyber world and the biological world as we transfer information transfer
1: data absolutely Oh yeah.
0: so and I think that's one of the things that we're fortunate that we get to do here in terms of interdisciplinary conversing and collaborating in ways that a lot of academics, professionals, don't do because disciplines have been historically siloed. Yeah? Yes. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And
1: it, it should cause us to rethink the risks to our systems and rethink about what data are we bringing in and could an attacker or an adversary control this data? Yeah. And yeah. what would that mean if they could so, so let me
2: scare you a little bit more. So we've been talking about um, sequences of DNA that will effectively compromise the, the cyber system. What if we're talking about sequences of, of DNA that are hidden from the cyber system, but they find themselves uh, or find their way back into resynthesized DNA? So if you're doing gene editing, for instance, right, right. if you're beginning to edit not only animals but human embryos, what are the chances of somebody putting a malicious little bit of DNA in there which
1: goes completely undetected yep. until you get to the second generation? So we have a great so there's a great analogy to the uh, computer realm. There was a um, uh, the Turing Award is this really big prize that's kind of the right. computer world yep. equivalent to the um, Nobel Prize. And it, and one of the, I think Ken Thompson had a speech called Trusting Trust. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He said, in one of the very first compilers, so a compiler is something that takes in C code and outputs like a binary. Yep. And so he said, well, how do you know that that transformation is happening correctly? Because somebody could put a back door such that a back door, whenever it, Gets because a compiler has to be compiled from C Mm -hmm. down to Mm -hmm. binary. So a compiler, when it's compiling itself, could insert this backdoor into itself so that it's only present in the compiled version. And from then on, anything with this tainted compiler also gets this backdoor. So it's a similar style where you have this self-propagating kind of idea.
3: I mean, I would would say that from a pragmatic perspective, the large companies that produce DNA sequences are... Very security conscious, course, and yes, were long true. before we had government were, guidelines yes. for them. Yes, <laughs> they were yes. bio, biotech is wonderful at this, <laughs> and better at it probably than the government will ever be. Um, however, with such an expansion of amateur biology and you know maker spaces that are working on biology that are synthesizing their own right. sequences mm-hmm. with the expansion of desktop sequencing. Yeah. I suppose if you if you could get something into the code for those machines, because I don't think people are coding all of their own code.
2: Right. So so that. this is where it's interesting. So yes, I, I fully agree. If you look at the biotech community, and I would include the amateurs as well as the professionals, they've been so conscious about self policing making sure that nobody is either creating sequences or stitching together sequences that are harmful. Mm-hmm. But that community doesn't have the insights of the cyber community. So the cyber community knows how to do things if they've got access to Mm -hmm. to data and stuff that the biotech
1: community doesn't know. And that, to me, makes them vulnerable. Which I think has really interesting parallels to what we've talked about before with self-driving cars. And As the technology, the cost and the access, the access increase and the cost goes down and you can Mm -hmm. kind of have Mm -hmm. an every person be able to create the open source Uh self-driving system. What happens when now this gets into that realm of the the hobbyist Mm -hmm. realm? Yeah, that's right. So so one of my predictions Mm -hmm. is one of the really
2: cool things, and here at ASU, we really encourage interdisciplinary um, stuff, research, tinkering, whatever. Yeah, yeah, when, you, yeah. So when you when, when you get the, the cyber hacker together with the DIY biologist, and they come up with something really quite wonderful, you've got to have somebody else working out how they deal with uh, um, the vulnerabilities that that brings yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how do you even think about this from a policy perspective? <laughs> so. I wish I wish <laughs> the look on your face could translate to. The look Uh, says,
2: thank goodness I'm no longer in government. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. a little bit.
3: Um, I mean, there there has already been a significant interface between the bio people and the cyber people, but mostly about dealing with big data and protecting biological data, things like that, maintaining the integrity of databases, not giving away all of our DNA, um, unless you work for the government, of course. It's already gone. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that this is going to require a real shift in how we talk to each other and how we talk about cybersecurity, right? The yeah. In 2014, we became, no longer we, uh, the U.S. government became very <laughs> conscious of Potential cybersecurity vulner vulnerabilities at select agent labs, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and so made recommendations to change the guidance around you know high security biological laboratories. Mm-hmm. But that was a major step, and there's mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. I, I read a couple articles last night that were saying that it hadn't gone far enough. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think that we're gonna all of us I- inside outside the government and think tanks at universities are gonna have to learn how to speak a common language between cyber and bio, because uh-huh. I, I don't think we necessarily do very right. much.
0: So two big categories of questions then arise for me. One is, do we, is this something that should be regulated, or does that end up being stifling?
1: How's that worked with the cyber industry? <laughs> yeah, right? I actually right. had this question. I was at a uh, talk I think Jamie Winterton was giving. <laughs> mm-hmm. And somebody, it was kind of an interdisciplinary talk, talking to people about security, and somebody stood up and said, well, why don't we regulate these things, right? Mm-hmm. we You can't just go create a nuclear reactor in your basement, right? You can't just create harmf- there's, right, um, harmful chemicals. The CDC regulates those pathogens, these kind of mm-hmm. things. Why don't we do the same thing with security? Right. right? And I laughed at first. I mean, my first instinct is just like, that's ridiculous. I mean. Right. The more I think about it, I mean, I, I just... I just don't think it's a feasible thing to ever implement because this is something that it's A, it's just about, I mean, anybody can do this. I mean, we have our mm-hmm. systems right, right. that are connected to everyone, right? Uh-huh. I mean, you with your, even your phone, not even your laptop, you have access to all the world's information systems. Right. Yeah. And you could potentially launch an attack from. Yeah. And this, I think, is the regulatory challenge, Mm -hmm. so still our
2: regulatory mindset is an old mindset. It's based on a world where computers actually didn't exist, and there was a clear causal relationship between what somebody did and and the effect, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to impose that regulatory mindset Mm -hmm. on something which we've created which is utterly alien to any other system we've had to deal with. This is
0: something that we've talked about with cybersecurity as opposed to sort of traditional quote, traditional defense thinking, which is that, all, and I think our regulatory systems are in the same kinetic mind frame, right? Mm-hmm. And saying, oh, okay, okay of course, we're going to regulate these things, and we're going to make U.S. law, right, that is going to regulate this practice. But this does not pay attention to you know,
3: national the borders, borders. Exactly. right? It doesn't yeah. matter if it's a US law, right. exactly, it's, it's not happening here, and exactly,
2: and we, which means you've got to find some way of protecting systems and continuously sort of upgrading those protections and uh-huh. changing cultures and attitudes and, and
1: behavior. So, this is where you get to the soft governance rather than the regulation. Yeah. And this is mm-hmm. to circle back to this paper, this is why I love work like this because it right. shows that. Cybersecurity is prevalent throughout all aspects of society. Yep. All types of software, mm-hmm. all types of systems need to be thinking about this because if you're not, then you're going to be reading some DNA sequence that you never would think would could potentially, you know, right. be malicious and then that is how an attacker can get yeah. into your system. Yes. Yep.
0: So, Andrew, you said soft governance. Can you just expound on what that means? Yes,
2: way, ways of helping and encouraging organizations and people to do the right thing. And by the right thing, I mean Mm -hmm. the the things that that are safer, more socially responsible, Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. the heavy hand of regulation. And typically, when we think of uh, regulation and governance, regulation is the big hammer, the the last stop. Mm -hmm. And you have a whole pyramid of stuff that that you really want to implement, including codes of conduct, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. cultures of of compliance and doing the right thing before Mm -hmm. you end up with that regulatory hammer at the top of the
3: So I would policy. agree with reserve reserving regulation for sort of the most, the that, most concerning that, things right. only. And, yeah, and of course,
2: this happens in the world. I, I people sort of forget that it's it's not all about regulation. You look at all the other ways in which we we regulate small r the things we do to make sure that society works.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that it's going to be. I would say that regulating whether big R or little r this from the bio side would be. A fascinating exercise, given that we're still having discussions about whether we are appropriately approaching agents we're worried about for security reasons, the select agent list, because there are a lot of genes in those that we don't really care about. They're housekeeping genes. We don't care. But we don't have a good way still in 2017 to not have to have a list to say these are the sequences we're worried about. So I have no idea. Give, I mean, given how fast things change in cybersecurity, if if it would ever even be vaguely possible to have a mm-hmm. list of sequences used for hacking or something, and it would it be it would be crazy. Exactly.
1: And the thing I was thinking about does it even make sense to think about regulating one industry in particular? Like, is there anything right. special about bio oh, versus exactly yeah. versus yeah. your yeah, bank yeah. and even your financial systems? Yes. Right? They yeah. still have massive yeah. compromises and massive Ooh, system yeah. attacks. So. Sure. And, and yeah, so I think I kind of agree with, it's especially I think regulatory and educational activities can be very effective on the defensive side of things. Yep. I think trying to regulate the offensive side is a very difficult challenge that I don't know that you'll ever... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think we do have a lot to learn from the cyber community,
2: though, and I, I think the more crosstalk there is between those yep. communities, the better. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well
0: solved that one yeah. <laughs> next. yeah next thank you guys thank you Heather for more where that came from check out the School for the Future of Innovation and in Society at sfis.asu.edu Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU Mark Van Heer created our music Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.